2: See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.
1: Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret?
4: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without autopay plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.
3: Delve into the shadows of the mind with sleeping dogs, a gripping murder mystery, starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash wondery.
0: This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by audible.com a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time
3: for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg.
0: Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London. You just never know. This week we come to you from the Fairmont Monte Carlo. You know, being in Monaco on the Côte d'Azur in December is off-season. My favorite time to be anywhere at this time of the year. I mean, think about it. No crowds beautiful weather. Okay, you may not be going swimming, but you can do it in style, without mortgaging your house, without standing in line. What a, what a great time to be here. And at this particular hotel, with over 600 rooms, probably one of the largest resorts on the Mediterranean, which which sort of sets the pace. I always like to ask a local every time I go someplace, and my next guest knows a little bit about that. She's been in this region for, what, 12 years now? Uh, originally from London, travel writer, but not just covering Monaco, covering the whole region of the south of France, and her name is Louis Simpson, how are you, Louise?
2: Very good, thank you. Uh,
0: uh, can I call you a Monegasque at this well, point?
2: Well, no. Uh, you don't get to be Monegasque even when you have a Monaco residency card. Um, it's a privilege given to very few. Uh, you have to be born Monegasque or married to a Monegasque.
0: Or show up with a lot of, of money.
2: Yes. Yeah. And even still, you're not considered Monegasque. Although, interestingly, if your children are born in Monaco, they have a special identity because they become the Enfant de Monaco, which gives them um, special residency um, privileges.
0: I could be the Enfant terrible of Monaco.
2: <laughs> there are lots of those. I, I,
0: yeah, I was going to get to that. <laughs> when you first got here, it was a, a cultural shock, wasn't it?
2: Yes. Um, I can remember arriving when I was seven months pregnant with my daughter. And um, I was sitting in this very beautiful marble floored apartment, and um, I was chatting to a friend in London about uh, how I wasn't sure how I was going to fit into this very glamorous uh, principality. And as I spoke, uh, a helicopter arrives with a palm tree and um, dangling from the bottom to place upon the rooftop apartment above me. And I remember um, wondering how it would fit in. And then, of course, over the decade since then, uh, like a truffle that's infused. many many palm trees later. (laughs) Many palm trees later, um, I seem to fit in just fine.
0: You adapted. Adapted. But this is a a very precious place in a way. I mean, it's smaller than the size of Central Park. You only have about 36,000 people who live here, Mm. right?
2: Everybody uh, knows one another. So it's a little village. And it's a little village that's uh, sunny and easy to live in. Uh, It's manageable. Manageable. And it's also uh, a city that's filled with oxymorons. So it's at once um, glamorous, yet earthy. Uh, It's high-rise and verdant. It's um, glamorous, uh, yet uh, underneath it not at all. And it's also uh, beautiful. And yet, um, ugly, although the ugly parts tend to be covered over with some surgery (laughs) in Monaco fashion, but it's a wonderful place because it defines definition, and uh, it it sort of defies the stereotypes which we often have of Monaco just being a tax-free haven. It is that, but it's a lot more.
0: And it's, uh, at least in all the years I've been coming here, uh, as special as it is, its I look at it as a little bit less elite than it used to be, just because it's more open to people.
2: Yes. Um, I think that uh, Prince Albert has tried to open up the principality to uh, families in particular. And I've noticed that when I arrived, uh, there weren't many activities for children. There weren't many associations. And since then, he has uh, made great efforts to make it a more family-friendly environment. And um, there it's a surprising thing is how many parks Monaco has. Something for you don't its size, you yeah. You don't often think about. Um, but for its size, uh, my uh, old apartment was actually next door to a park. So when my children were born, I called it my garden. <laughs> because, of course, <laughs> very few of us have gardens here. So the, the play park became the garden.
0: When your friends come to visit you, what's mm. the biggest surprise to them about Monaco?
2: Well... Um, People are uh, amazed by some of the glamorous elements. So the the sort of the billionaire yachts with the helipads. Yeah. Um, the fact that there is a there's a shop uh, which isn't just Dior but baby Dior. So that if you're three years old, you can buy um, a Dior outfit for a thousand pounds for your. Three and yacht. how
0: many do your kids have? None. <laughs> None. None. Okay, good. Just double checking. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned about although the
2: although um amusingly I was actually bought one top when my child was um we had the baptism here, and I have a lot of lovely friends. And they, one of them, very generously gave me a very beautiful baby deal top. Also, I had the lovely experience of going out recently on a fishing boat, uh, fishing one of the uh, old fishing families that's been here for a century. And they still fishing? Uh, the Rinaldi fishing. family, and they still fish um, from the fishing trawlers off the coast of Monaco. And we went on a trip, and we actually came through the port of. Um, Port Hercule through the billionaire yachts. And it was a sort of eerie, it was about sort of six in the morning coming through the yachts. Um, uh, interesting. So sort of the, the old fishing trawler and the. the and did you catch some yachts. fish? And we caught some fish. And another experience I had, which was interesting, was when I was writing about Alan Ducasse doing education for yacht chefs. Uh, because really? it's, it's a specialist art. Because you have to. Produce, in a limited amount of space. In a limited amount of space, you have to produce Michelin starred level cuisine. I and hate yet, when that happens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yet the space they have to do it is so minute. So I did um, 24 hours on one of the big super yachts, the White Rose of Tracks, a very beautiful one that was actually parked in Cap Dye Harbour. Cap Dye. Uh, no, Cap Dye. Oh, Cap just Dye. on the edge of Monaco. So ah. actually, if you. If you cross the street from Fonvier, you go into Cap D'ye, So it's just there. Okay. And uh, there were about 12 chefs and I um, <laughs> learning how to make puff pastry in uh, sort of two meters by one meter. Kitchen. Which is the size it's, of your studio. Yeah. It's so exactly. you can do the same, same like, thing. <laughs> so I was it's feeling Except, except you're not floating.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. you know, I, I always remember when I first came here after Alan Ducasse opened up his restaurant at the Hotel de Paris. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I couldn't believe the layout of that restaurant because the nearest table is in another postal code. Yes, it, I mean the amount of space that the diners are given for private conversations, and the little bench there for the for the ladies' handbag, and, and all the mm. uh, all the different touches. It's it's it. I've never seen a restaurant laid out just that way.
2: Yes, it's it's all rococo splendor and. Uh, it's it's a treat for all the, a feast for the senses uh, in all ways. Um, I also particularly like the grill, which um, reopened recently last May um, after a big renovation. Because of course, the Hotel de Paris is is being completely renovated. They have yes, um, but the American bar is
0: still open, right? The
2: American bar is still open, but um, the ho- the grill was closed for a while. Uh, there's a whole load of bedrooms being opened up uh, next year, and the grill itself. Uh, has a wonderful opening rooftop. So as you dine, the roof opens. Oh, nice. And you get this fantastic view down towards the port and down towards the And casino. if you
0: go in the basement of the Hotel de Paris, their wine cellar oh, is yes. Unbelievable.
2: Yes, but not many people get to go down there, but yes.
0: I got a chance. <laughs> got I got right. a chance to go down there.
2: Lucky man. But
0: then there's this hotel, the Fairmont, because it's got a history. I mean, it's been around for 20 years.
2: Mm, it's also one of the best places when you come to see the Monaco Grand Prix because it's a very interesting position within the race because it's a very tight corner, so the cars have to slow down.
0: You actually get to see so the you cars. you actually get
2: to see the cars. <laughs> so uh, it's, it, it's, it's very well known for that.
0: Plus... Look at the the position of the hotel literally on the water. I mean, anybody who sleeps with their curtains closed is missing out. You need to go to bed with the curtains open so that when the sun comes up, you're up. Mm. It's so gorgeous.
2: And they have also um, redefined themselves in the last um, decade with things like Nobu coming in and Nikki Yeah, a little bit later in the
0: show, we're going to talk to their food director at Nobu because, I mean, they've done some amazing things there. Mm. I mean, Nobu is, is a staple now, right?
2: Yes, it's amazing. Um, Monaco has an interesting cuisine because it's both uh, international. So you have a lot of very famous international brands and Michelin-starred chefs, and then you also get the local Monégasque cuisine, which is actually very earthy, originally peasant food based on stews, stockfish, fried chard wrapped in pastry, which they call barbajouan. And it's it's an interesting when well, you, you get to well, see the I tea. actually
0: made barbajouan. Ah. Uh, yes, I went to the uh, to the Lermitage Hotel with their chef, and I actually learned how to make Barber's because it's spinach and it's and it's pastry and it's yeah. it's it is a Monogast dish and if you go across from the Hotel de Paris mm. to the cafe across the way in that little park area yes. that's where you get if you order the Barber's one, they look at you look like, oh you know because most people don't
2: well there you go now they do
0: now they do yeah I, I, I told them I do <laughs> what's your favorite dish here in Monaco to eat what's your favorite
2: well I have to say my favorite dish is is uh, not actually a local one, but it's uh, one of my favorite chefs, Joel Robuchon, who um, does an amazing mashed potato, which is 50% butter.
0: Of course it is.
2: And it's something which I can never get out of my head. So if I dream of my See, if favorite if I ate that, dish... I'd never be
0: able to get out of my bed. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> um, but it is the dish I dream about. Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore.
0: knowing the land being a local my next uh, my next guest knows a lot about that she's the editor-in-chief of monaco life magazine nancy heslin how are you
3: good thank you thanks for having me on the show
0: now where are you from originally
3: i'm from toronto canada
0: so I, I hear a little canadian accent there a
3: little bit i tried to hide it
0: i know i know what brought you to monaco uh,
3: just a series of coincidences actually but i have to say i didn't follow a man to come here unlike most uh, stories that you hear i ended up coming here for other reasons and was able to find work in journalism, which is remarkable, and uh, ended up staying here 20 years ago.
0: And you've been writing and and editing these magazines. There's there's another magazine you did with Riviera Reporter, right? So
3: the Riviera Reporter, when you uh, were talking about Sunnybank, um, Riviera Reporter was founded about 25 years ago, and it actually shut down after brexit it was a magazine it was a fantastic magazine that covered basically saint tropez to monton just uh, no, just side inside yeah. monaco and uh after brexit uh, uh, quite a few of the advertisers pulled out because everybody's a little uncertain about what's about to happen and uh i progressed from going from that work to coming and really focusing on monaco which are really two different markets you're either in monaco covering monaco news or you cover everything else
0: now to put things in in some context Monaco news can be a little limiting only because it's so small.
3: You'd think that. I mean, there are 37,000 people here, so there are stories in to a, be in told. In a place
0: that's smaller than Central Park.
3: That's right. But there's actually a lot going on, and I think that's the misconception of, of this is just a place for people to come with money. I mean, the population is 37,000 people, but... On a workday, you have 56,000 people coming to work here for the public sector. That's a lot of influx. And they're young people. And they, there's there's business clubs and all kinds of dynamic organizations. And every time I go somewhere, I'm meeting someone new. And I think, I've been here forever. How do I not? Even other Canadians that have lived here for 20 years. So it's actually, there's a lot going on here. There's a lot of stories to cover. And the government is very active. So you can always have those uh, additional news stories.
0: And, you know, you, you have access to the extent that he's out there all the time, to Prince Albert
3: right I mean this is the great thing Monaco is actually quite an accessible little area you have to be respectful to be able to stay within the community but you do uh, I interviewed for example Prince Albert at his home in July uh, to celebrate uh, clean equity so clean equity is a clean tech program he started or co-founded 10 years ago and they were celebrating their anniversary clean tech brings together obviously new technologies with with financial backing and to date they've brought together Prince Albert and Mungo Park $1.7 billion American, towards new technologies. So I was able to go and interview him uh, with Mongo at his house, which was great. And he has a great memory. He does always remember the last time he spoke to you, and he's just a very casual, very open person. So the I do think he's a prince of the people. And he has a sense of humor. He's a very funny guy.
0: People don't get that when they see him in public, but I, I talked to him probably 12 different times, and we laugh.
3: Well, I had actually uh, had a run-in with him uh, at an art Exhibition and A run-in? Well, let's say we just kind of had a little glance with each other. And he had just come back from Quebec at the time, and he had gone to visit, I think it was a signing of, a, of an environmental document, and he was visiting the, the Quebec uh, government. And there was a protest that had nothing to do with him, but it made the news, of course, because it was embarrassing for Canada that Prince Albert shows up. It was February. It was cold. All these people were on the streets. So when we saw each other, we just had this laugh that only Canadians could still protest in February when it's cold. They wouldn't wait till summer. And he makes those personal connections with you each time, at every level with every person.
0: When friends of yours come to visit you, Mm -hmm. what's the biggest surprise that they're not expecting about Monaco?
3: I think partly is just that it's the cleanliness and the uniqueness of it. You do feel when you arrive here, if you're not used to the area, that there's something different about being in the principality than even just crossing the border to Cap Dai or going to Nice. There's something unique about being here, and I think that is what impresses people. The cleanliness, there's a high level of civility. People, and a
0: high level of security.
3: Well, the, and the two things go hand in hand, That yeah. that you know that you would not jaywalk here, and people, if you did cross the street, people aren't honking at you the same way aggressively in other places. You don't see homeless on the street. The, the security, I believe it's one police officer for every 70 residents here.
0: Which is unusually right crazy. It is,
3: it is. But there's still things that happen, but you don't have to watch your back and you don't have to be as uh, conscious of people coming towards you as you do in other cities as such as Nice.
0: Although when I first came here, it was like the old Groucho Marx line that I would never join a club that would have me as a member right. because they're still like, they let me in. Yeah. You know, right? You, you feel a little special.
3: I think so, and I think that that's why people really do respect the fact that it's a, a privilege to live here. And that's, that is the difference, really, in when I say civility, where you wouldn't see el- elder places. People here really take it to heart that they have the right to live here. They respect the fact security is there, and they want to stay here, so they just obey the laws. And they're pretty, overall, pretty good people.
0: And in terms of accommodations, I mean, this hotel goes back to the 90s, late 80s, actually. Um, when it used to be called the Loves I remember that when it was lowe's now it 's the Theramont. Uh but i haven't really counted a whole lot of new hotels hmm. um, you know you have the old uh, you have the SPM hotels like the hotel de which they 're just redoing and and you 've got uh, you know the other Sbm hotels you 've got the, the the metropole and you 've got the lermitage and and it just I, I first came here when I was twelve years old, and it really hasn't changed that way.
3: No, well even this hotel used to be the old Trail rail station and they used to come here and, uh, the aristocrats used to come here and shoot pigeons if you can imagine. So it sort of morphs <laughs> into other things. But no there's not a lot of new builds. You don't have um you don't have the ability of the land space here. However, with the land extension program that's happening uh and b- and
0: rebuilding the port too. Yeah.
3: These are big things for for Monaco. I mean it's a 2 billion dollar extension that they're putting out there. So we'll see I don't believe it will have any hotels. But what has happened is you can find Airbnb you, from 70. There euros are
0: Airbnbs a- in Monaco?
3: There are. So from 70. Are e- they affordable? 70 euros a night, you can have a studio. But what's fascinating is even if you don't want to stay here, go onto Airbnb, Airbnb Monaco and just take a look at the photos. See what is available and what is studio, how small the space is that people have. It is small. Yeah. Right? Yeah.
0: But sometimes it even has a view.
3: It does have a view, and that's the thing. But you can still get some places here on Airbnb that aren't too bad.
0: Wow, Airbnb. And there's
3: an Airbnb boat as well that's come along that you can. Oh, no, that's cool. Yeah, they and I have to think of the name. But it's the same idea, but it's on a boat service, and you can you can stay on that.
0: Yeah, you know, they've developed now, using that Airbnb model in, in the United States, services for boats, services for cars. Yeah. Um, it was developed by a bunch of kids at MIT who... We're going to Logan Airport all the time. They'd see like 9,000 cars parked in the p- airport parking lots of people who'd flown. The cars are just sitting there. Yeah. So they said, hey, wait, these people are paying for parking for cars they're not using. There are people landing here who need cars. Now, of course, the rental car companies are not thrilled about this idea, but yeah. it's a concept that's starting to work.
3: Yeah, well, you know, and the thing is, is honestly, if I travel, I want the experience to be in a hotel. So for me, Airbnb isn't Airbnb isn't an option. I really love to just go somewhere new and appreciate i know it costs money but i like to appreciate what the hotel has to offer
0: nancy likes to be pampered
3: perhaps and i always i always say it's worth paying for that view (laughs) because how many times do you read people coming back and saying oh it was a great hotel but you know we looked onto a parking lot pay that extra money and have the view because it's worth it you want it yeah you're
0: doing some serious swims
3: it's pretty serious. We uh, discovered a sport that uh, originated in Sweden in 2006 called swim Run. It's a sport where you run in teams of two in your wetsuits and you run and swim in your running shoes and you cross islands in the Stockholm archipelago. So the small race is about 40 kilometers. The World Series race, the World Championship is 75 kilometers with 10 kilometers of open water swimming.
0: And by the way, the Stockholm archipelago, I'm not making this number up, is 24,000 islands and nobody knows it. Yep and it's the, mo- the so beautiful especially in the summer um it's so cold <laughs> well the water is so cold although i've been in it without a wetsuit impressive i, w- I was and some of the best seafood and those mussels mm. oh my god it's a spectacular place it i really mean it's is.
3: a real way to connect with nature and i think that it's a re- for me it's a great contrast to working in monaco where there's a lot of money involved a lot of high profile people that you're constantly working with and then this provides you an opportunity to really be with nature i mean they don't even have gel packs you have all the food is homemade so that there's no waste in the environment exactly and And you're swimming today. That's right, on December 16th. Today we have the Monaco Annual Christmas Swim, which is put on by the Association uh, de Bain de Noel. And every year we try to get as many of... residents and friends of monaco to come and get in the water without a wetsuit and every year they do you do i do and every year we do it for a different charity this year we're going to benefit the children of the monaco police force who are disadvantaged and need some help
0: and i want the truth to be told is alcohol involved
3: Uh, i can't answer that question
0: (laughs) you're getting in the water without a wetsuit. come on
3: well i'll tell you this that there's a guy um, that has started a new company here and it's he uses all of monaco's orange trees and they're bitter orange trees and they used to have the oranges go to waste because they couldn't use it for food to give to people and he is now takes this and he makes monaco's first monaco made orange liqueur called lorangerie and philippe has contacted the association so we're hoping that there's going to be a little dose today
0: basically of, we're talking about an alcohol sponsor
3: well, maybe not a sponsor but a little shot a contributor, contributor. that's right a partner <laughs>
0: <laughs> now you don't live in monaco you live in me in nice that's right so you're a commuter i am and what's that like
3: to be honest, I bike and uh, I bike and run the 20 kilometers as much as I can because taking the train is longer with all the train strikes.
0: <laughs> that's right. Welcome to Europe. Yeah, yeah. So, but you're biking every day.
3: Uh, we I try to bike or I'll run one of the way, one of the distances. There's actually a, a sidewalk from the Monaco Casino all the way to the Negresco Hotel in Nice, so it's really safe and you can use that.
0: Wow, talk about a great bike path.
3: Yeah, it's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And really, it's when you have those. Is that commute, recent
0: or has that been around for a while? It's been
3: around f- forever.
0: So it's been. And bikeable for all those years. Yeah,
3: and you see more and more people coming here by bike only because the commute on the train is unpredictable as far as uh, the timeliness, and it's just so crowded that it's you'd really rather take a little extra time and come by nature's way.
0: Let's talk about the food scene for a second because you know it's it's really exploded.
3: That's right. Well, actually, the best place I just went to was Sexy Taco on Friday. <laughs> Sexy Taco. Sexy Taco. It's a small little place that seats about twenty that uh, is run by some uh, a family of Mexicans who arrived here. The food is well, it's serves tacos. No. Surprise. Fantastic food. Um, It's just off of uh, near the Odeon Tower. It really is just such fresh and different food for here that it's a a nice surprise.
0: And uh, Stars and Bars is still running around?
3: Stars and Bars. Kate is... uh, Kate is...
0: We've had her on the show many times. She's
3: fantastic. She's really developed that in the terms of having... uh, She's taken a more environmentally friendly side. So they grow all of their own herbs and and vegetables and things like that now. And they have uh, developed an echo hub for Monaco where they try to bring together other once a month a group of people like-minded who share uh, ideas and you can go to these free conferences and Kate is a, a pillar of this community for sure.
0: Is there a person in Monaco that you've always wanted to interview that you haven't yet?
3: Not yet. You got I, everybody. I haven't got everybody, but there's lots of people that come through, and we've just launched with Monaco Life St. Bart's Life because a lot of people in Monaco go down to St. Bart's for the, for, the for the season. For the season.
0: We have to say it the right way. For the Excuse season. Excuse me, right? Yes.
3: So Sir Stelios, who created the founder of EasyJet. I know i, I know Stelios. Stelios, so he. Oh, yeah created uh, down in St. Barts, the Gustavia Yacht Club last year. And before on spec, he had, I think it was 100 very high what uh, wealth net people here sign up for the yacht club down there. So we're working with these two communities. So I'm hoping that I can get a little bit more into St. Barts and learn some of the people that go back and forth between Monaco and St. Barts. But mostly the people, if I would like to interview someone, the royal fam- in the, the princely family, I have not interviewed Princess uh, Caroline or Princess Stephanie. And that would be quite an honor for me, but that hasn't happened yet.
0: I always find it ironic that Stelios, who founded EasyJet, is working with a yacht club in St. Barts. There's a certain disconnect there. I'm sorry.
3: Yeah. Actually, it was great. He just showed me his original um, marketing plan that he showed his father when he asked his father for a loan to start EasyJet. Uh, He always says that people forget that at least he had access to money to start his own business, you know, because he does try to, he works a lot with the under 40 business community here to get them to use their facilities and use their resources to try to create their own entrepreneurship.
0: Yeah. You know, he he earned it the old fashioned way, right? He 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 borrowed it from his dad. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) That's right, that's right. Or inherited it, either one, you know. Something
3: like that. But he's the first Monaco resident to donate to the Giving Pledge, Bill Gates um, Foundation, where you donate half of your money, half of your wealth to charity.
5: If
2: you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the
3: monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care.
0: My next guest I, I never see him where he lives. He lives in Vancouver. He never sees me where I live, but we see each other in world capitals just like three or four times a year usually because he's on the prowl. He's the the founder and managing director of something called LQA. Uh, his name is Trent Walsh and LQA stands for
1: Leading Quality Assurance,
0: which means let's get let's let's get down to brass tacks here. You know, I go back to the days of the original mobile guides and the Forbes guides and the and the AAA guides and five stars and five diamonds and You've seen all those guidebooks, or at least you're aware of them. And I always want to know, how do they come up with this? How do they come up with it? Who gets a diamond? Who gets a star? Who gets three stars versus four? The Michelin guides, of course, the, the traditional French guides. And then who's actually doing the work that gets you to that information? And under what metric do they use or metrics do they use to come up with the differentiation between a three and a four star or a three and a four diamond? Uh, and your company has been doing this for a long time. Um, of going in with a whole different set of criteria, which is really not for the consumers especially, but it's really for the hotels themselves to let them know what they're doing right and wrong, right?
1: Correct, absolutely.
0: So give me an idea of the of the criteria that you're using uh, that, Will really separate the you know the men from the boys.
1: Sure. Well, as you know, Peter, our our business is luxury. That's what we primarily focus in on. Uh, the criteria we use are eight hundred standards. It costs twenty five different departments. And Stop it's, right there. Yeah. Eight hundred. Eight hundred.
0: So give me like one of the ones that nobody would ever figure out.
1: Well, the three most commonly missed standards globally for every single luxury brand that we work with: uh, did the employee use the guest name? Uh, did they personalize the interaction? And did they anticipate the guest needs?
0: The third one being the toughest.
1: Absolutely toughest, yeah. yeah.
0: Now, you mentioned, you know, those three things. You have your mystery shoppers, I suppose, who are going in there all the time. Your inspectors. Correct. Right? And the, the whole idea is that they're not known. Absolutely. Right? They, they, they just make a reservation. They, they're, they just, individual reservation doesn't come in over. It may be reserve online, or they go through. They're, there's no indication as to who these guys or women are.
1: It's key to what we're offering, right? So the hotels are hiring us to give us insight into our operation, come as an anonymous guest, uh, usually two nights, three days in duration, and check, do everything from check-in to check-out and everything in between.
0: Now, obviously, in order to do this 800-item list, they've got to experience it.
1: They've got to experience every aspect of the hotel.
0: So basically, you're giving them a credit card going, enjoy it. Well, no, we have very strict spending <laughs> guidelines,
1: obviously. I mean, our clients don't want us uh, ordering the most expensive bottle of wine while we're there, so we obviously have uh, very strict uh, spending guidelines. You know, our our goal is to test as many of those 800 standards during a visit as we can, but don't just go wild and spend it on anything that we want
0: you know speaking of those standards I go back to uh, and I'm not trying to single out anybody or, or give them a hard time but but I do question you know the old days of the uh, of the mobile guidebook or the AAA. I said well who are your inspectors who are these people and in some cases I used to I used to discover and call me crazy that they, you know, they were escaped librarians for the summer you know or school teachers who just were checking off a list right it was just a checklist and and when I started digging down deeper I saw hotels that were getting four stars instead of three because they had a golf course. Just because they had a golf course. Sure, so I'm going sure, like, sure. wait a minute. If I don't play golf, why is that a four-star hotel for me? Yeah, yeah. sure.
1: So from, from our point of view, listen, we, we work, as you mentioned at the beginning of the show, we work for the hotel. So we don't publish our results. The results are for the hotel. They're all only. internal. They're all internal. Um, and 80% of our score is service. It's, it's all about service. 20% is product. Um, in terms of our inspectors, it's an interesting one because it is a differentiator for us. We're one of the few companies to use full time people. This is what they do for a living every day. So, our typical inspector does 10 and By nights. the
0: way, they must weigh 500 pounds.
1: Because uh, they're, always, they're always ordering room service. No, we've got some. How do you answer that one? We've got some <laughs> slim ones and we've some enjoy their food. Uh, but, um, you know, I guess the big difference for us is this is what they do for a living, though. So, they do 10 nights every month in a hotel, 120 nights a year in wow. the hotels. Um, they are ex-hoteliers, all of them. So they know what to look for. They know what to look for. A multinational, we have 14 different nationalities on staff. And to give you just a a brief, when we recruit, um, we invite them in, they do psychometric testing, they do a grammar test, they do um, three rounds of interviews, one with me, one with uh, an inspector, and then finally one with our operations director. So we vet them very carefully to make sure they're the right person for the job. Is
0: part of their training or part of their mission to find something and complain about it to see how fast the hotel recovers?
1: Absolutely. So in every section, we have a standard that deals with problem resolution and did they show empathy. A big big aspect that we looked at is the emotional intelligence of the employees.
0: Give me an example of, without naming the hotel, but of an inspection that you guys did that surprised you in a negative way that you were able to turn something around. I mean, something that was like, Really?
1: Oh, well, I would say, listen, as I mentioned at the top of the show there, um, we deal with luxury. Yeah. So it's not uncommon for the hotels that we're checking in to be 1000 US a night, 1500 US a night. At that level, my expectation is perfection because that's a lot of money to be paying for a hotel room. And often you do not come across perfection. And in, and in, certainly in some cities, which I'm not going to specify, but, you know, in some cities there's a bit of arrogance that can come across. And I think at $1,500 a night, that's uh, unacceptable.
0: Well, $1,500. $1,500 a night, they better be perfect. Absolutely. All right, but give me an example of one of the inspections that you did that, you know, we cannot believe that they were charging $1,500 a night and doing that. You brought it to their attention and, you know.
1: Well, let me let me give you a, a good example. So... A hotel, uh, three-star Michelin restaurant. I was with my wife. Uh, They served the chicken dish, which I can't remember off the top of my head. I'm going to say it was like 250 euros for the uh, the, the dish. For the dish? For the dish.
0: With the chicken wearing the designer gown?
1: I can tell you one thing. The starter was 120 euros, and it was three types of tomato. That's what I can tell you, right? So, anyways. So, did you
0: get an estimate for the Diet Coke while you were there?
1: (laughs) So we ordered this meal. My, it, my, when my wife cut into the chicken, it was pink in the middle. It was not cooked. And so she called. Oh, no, the, if you want it cooked, it's 500. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a little bit more. Yeah. So we called the maitre d' over, and, and my wife Emma said, uh, sorry, the, this hasn't been cooked. And he looked at it and he says, yeah, some guests don't like it prepared. Some guests don't like it prepared that way, but it is correct. And my wife says, what raw chicken is correct? And he says, as I said, not all guests like it cooked that way. And you're thinking you're not listening to what we're saying here, right? Right. It's not my and my wife. If you know my wife, Peter, she (laughs) has no problem saying it. She says, "So you want me to eat raw chicken?" Right, and he said, "No, no, I, I, will take it away from, or take it away and replace whatever you want." But and uh, interestingly, the next day, this obviously went up the chain within the hotel, and it got registered. And the the food and beverage manager came to see us the next day, and I had assumed he would come and see us. Was now. he bearing I'm, chicken? I'm really sorry about this. Yeah. But it, what did he say? Yeah, I understand you didn't like the way the chicken was prepared last night. That is how chef likes to prepare it. So still not acknowledging there was a problem, which I, okay. I think is you just raised
0: a point, uh, especially in terms of the definition of the word luxury. I don't care how the chef likes to prepare it how about the way i want to eat it
1: well i mean another that you often get in mission star is um you know we expect condiments to be offered so you know we you know i might want ground pepper on my dish often you will hear in that luxury sec like, well the chef doesn't think it needs crushed pepper <laughs> well, Get me that I, chef out I, here right if now. i'm going to pay 120 uh, euros for three types of tomatoes i'll decide what i want on it right
0: right now, I mean, obviously, the chef would seem insulted if you asked for ketchup. Absolutely. I, I, I get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the point is, that we got to get back to the basics here. Absolutely right. I don't, Absolutely. It doesn't matter what the price tag is. Remember who your guests are. Well, and who's paying for the bill? Exactly. So after that incident, the famous chicken incident with your wife, yes. did they fix it?
1: They didn't. That was the I mean, I thought the interesting thing about that story and and what we do as well, I should mention at the end of every inspection, we announce who we are and we meet with the general manager and we're able to give them the feedback. (laughs) Whoops. And yeah, and so that's a you know, to me that's a, a great insight into what's happening in the operation that they need to be aware of and that's what they're paying us for.
0: What about housekeeping?
1: So the housekeeping we measure four different areas: uh, housekeeping arrival, how clean the room was on arrival; evening turn down service; daytime uh, servicing of the room, and then. And laundry. by the way, the
0: definition of a luxury hotel is they're going to do turn down twice a day. I mean, they're going to they're going to make the room up in the morning and they're going to yeah, turn correct. it down at night. Yeah.
1: Right? Daytime servicing, evening turn down. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah.
0: And how do they measure up?
1: That varies dramatically, I would right. say. Yeah, um, you know, I think. Listen, we 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 are in the luxury sector. As now, it if, said. if
0: you if you go, if you check into a room and there's a raw chicken in the bed, <laughs> that's a then you have got a problem.
1: That's a big problem. Well, I chef, haven't come no, across no, that no, one no. yet. And
0: the answer, of course, is the chef likes it that way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We have some, found <laughs> some interesting things under the bed over the year, but uh, oh, I'm sure you yeah, have. Yeah, yeah.
0: But you know what? There are some hotels now that have no space between the mat, the the, the box spring. and the the floor because they don't want anything under the bed absolutely yeah sure and then of course then you kick yourself every time you get in the bed yeah (laughs) i know but the bottom line is it's that specific in terms of what you're looking
1: for oh listen for housekeeping arrival for instance i think we measure 62 standards or something like that and that's everything from where the scuffs on the walls where the carpet's clean was there mold in the bathroom all those kind of things Um, evening turn down we look for things nice touches right Uh, was the television remote control left on the bedside table so when you get back into your room and you lie down on the bed, was a remote right there for you so you don't have to go up and get and find it. So it's small details like that as well that we look for.
0: I noticed that in my hotel the other day in, 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 in Cannes. Yeah. They actually knew where the remote was, where I wanted it. Well,
1: one of the things we started looking at as well, I think which is quite interesting, is we're talking about personalizing the service. And how do you do that in housekeeping? And We look for things like, if I sleep on one side of the bed, is that the side of the bed that they're turning down every evening? Right, so we're looking for them to be, we call them... To all, be aware. To be aware. Like, I'm looking at this room, and how does this person like to stay? And how can I customize it to that person? So do we tilt the alarm clock in the evening towards that side
0: of the bed? It's the little thing, yes. Riding along in my automobile
1: My baby beside me at the wheel
4: Cruising and playing the radio With no particular place to go
0: Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at wwwaudiblepodcastcom travel today to get a free audiobook and 30 day trial. I've been coming to this hotel, I said this earlier in the show, since they used to call it the Loves. It was Lowe's, actually. This is back in the 90s. I remember coming here in 90 and 91 and 92, uh, but for the last many, many years, it's it's been a Fairmont. What a great view. I mean, waking up in your room in the morning and looking out that window, I mean, how anybody could sleep with their shades drawn in this hotel is, is an idiot. You have to just leave them open because you want to wake up when the sun comes up over the Mediterranean, but more than that, of course, it's the restaurant scene, and this is where you're going to find Nobu, uh, right here on the Cote d'Azur, and joining me now, the food director is Luca Fametti. How are you?
5: I'm very well. How are you, Peter? Good. Now, you're a Nobu veteran. I mean, right? You were in London for how many years? Uh, I was in London for 17, which ate in Nobu.
0: And, you know, what's interesting about the Nobu in London, for those people who go to London, it used to be a hotel there called the Londonderry, and it was a terrible hotel. And, And it really was. It was one of those white elephants who ever took over the hotel they failed. Now it's right next. It's right across the street from the Hilton, and it's right around the corner from the Intercon and and from the Four Seasons. I mean, it's all in that same area. But the London Dairy, for whatever reason, just never made it. And then all of a sudden, one day, I go by the London Dairy. The name is off the building. It's all white. And then I come back three months later. Not only is it a, a different hotel, you've got Nobu right there in the lobby,
5: and it it turned that corner around. I mean, you couldn't even get in the place. I mean, right. Yeah, true, true, true. I remember I started there in 1999, and uh, there was uh, it was one of the first Asian Japanese restaurants in in London at that time. Well,
0: let's call London for what it was in those days. It was bad wimpies. It was right Julie's Pantry or whatever. It was, it was just bad food. Uh, nobody was really unless you got into the neighborhoods, you did Indian food or you did some Chinese. it, it really wasn't a food capital. No, you I guys don't. were part of the revolution that turned London around as, as a gourmet destination.
5: Yeah, absolutely. I in ninety seven when Park Lane, Long Noble Park Lane, first opened their door, I started there in ninety nine, and I remember like Monday nights at ten thirty, we used to have the queue through the stairs and, all the way. And <laughs> by the
0: way, in the <laughs> restaurant business, Monday nights are usually a dead night.
5: <laughs> I mean, come yeah. on, <laughs>
0: you couldn't get more dead than a Monday night. <laughs> no, <laughs> especially in London. That's right. But that was what happened. Yeah. You had to know a guy to know a guy to know a guy to get to Nobu. That's right, and that's still mostly the case. It's still you're still doing big numbers there.
5: Still doing big numbers in London, yeah. Even if now there's many other restaurants like uh, Japanese or of Asian, course. but uh, yeah, they're still doing well. You know, they now opened the third restaurant and hotel, do like, uh, in Shortage. So yeah, there's three three location in London.
0: Well, and, and you know, Nobu is now more than just a restaurant. It's a brand. I mean, it's 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 a brand that is. Branched out into hotels, it's, right? It's, it's, it's almost out of control. <laughs> yeah,
5: and he's doing hotels now as well. Exactly.
0: There's one in Las Vegas. There's one in... Um, Miami. In Miami, and there's another one coming as well. So, Abiza uh, Marbella. As I said, another one coming as <laughs> well. <laughs> We're talking to Luca Fometti, the food director for Nobu, but here's my question about Nobu, and that is this. I, of course, remember the original restaurant in Los Angeles, Matsuhisa. Matsuhisa, yeah. Um, and that's where I first discovered him, as long as, as well as uh, Robert De Niro and everybody else. That's right. But my question is, on your menu here in Monte Carlo, right, I'm assuming, because I remember his signature dish was the yellowtail with the jalapeno.
5: That's right. And you still have it. Absolutely. You can't get rid of that. Can't get rid but of it. But the
0: one that I always order, and for those people who have never done this, trust me, It's been, and I'll tell you a very funny story that goes back to London in a second about this particular dish. It's the cod. Famous black cod. The famous black cod. It is unreal. I'd never go to Nobu without having that. But here's the funny story. There is um, a restaurant, a Lebanese restaurant in London, in Shepherd's Market, called Sofra.
5: I know the restaurant, yeah.
0: And I go in there. This is going on for years now. And they finally changed it because somebody must have complained. I go in there... And I'm looking at all the, the items that they have and it's you know it's it's a mesa, it's Lebanese food, it's this and that. And all of a sudden in the menu it says COD Nobu style. <laughs> I'm not kidding. And you know what? I ordered it. And it was. So let's go back to the to the to the to the sourcing question. And yep. that is here you are in the Mediterranean. Yeah. Different kind of seafood than yep. you're gonna find necessarily on the east coast or in Asia. Uh are you getting, I mean, look, we live in a, in, in a world of globalization. Anything can be sourced and flown in. That's right. Is there a kind of fish you want here that you can't get?
5: The bluefin tuna. We can't get bluefin tuna in the, in the principality because it's um, the prince, you know, it's, uh, doesn't want, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a dangerous species, so we can't get bluefin tuna. So we can't get toro or toro. Well, more than you can't, you won't. Yeah, we won't. <laughs> exactly. All right, but is there a kind of fish that's you know
0: very you know basically part of this area that you can get in abundance that you're able to do stuff with?
5: Uh, seabeds. Yeah. We get beautiful Mediterranean seabeds. We have uh, beautiful breams. and uh, also we get good snappers, and uh, we do have at times uh, beautiful yellowtail. You, you know can the yellow tail? The, You can get the yellowtail. Yeah, fantastic yellowtail. Last I think last week we got a 14 kilos one, and it's Beautiful, absolutely beautiful. I mean, We're talking to Luca Fumetti, the food director for Nobu.
0: Let's go back to the training.
5: Yes. Because
0: it's one thing to say, okay, we're going to put a Nobu brand in Brazil, or we're going to put a Nobu brand in Brooklyn, or one here in, in, in Monte Carlo. It's easy to say. You can certainly get the kitchen you want. You can certainly get the utensils you want. You can certainly get the machines that you want. But without the right people and the right training, it's going to fail.
5: Correct. Uh, I think training uh, is very important. I mean, I think Nobu has a a, a luck. Have a very um, someone that follows them and stay with the company for a long time. So we kind of get the Nobu system, you know, in our veins. So we have the, the Nobu style and the Nobu philosophy that grows with us. And we know, obviously, Nobu San is very close to his, his staff. And then, you know, when he speaks to us, when he, he, he really gives us his input, we, we take it and we transmit it to, to the new staff. All right, so give me an example of
0: what he would say to you when you were first opening this restaurant. And he said, okay, whatever you do, always do this. And
5: whatever you do, never do that. Well, Nobu San, his philosophy is, is really that he would like to make people feel like they're coming home, you know, and not just... A client when it comes to to visit a restaurant and spend money of course you know for him when he opened his first restaurant at Tsuhisa, he, he embraced all his clients as he, as he welcomed them in his house in his home and that's why he likes to cook for them that's why he create dishes for them like the famous new style you know the new style salmon or new style it was created because it was a guest that didn't eat raw fish and then he created this particular dish that is not 100% raw because he wanted him to enjoy food in his restaurant See, there are the other sushi restaurants that are, it's, it's like
0: the, the sushi Nazis, you know, <laughs> saying don't ask for a California roll. We're not going to give it to you. Don't ask for spicy tuna. We're not giving it to you. Right. Yeah. If I order a spicy tuna, do I get it? Of course. OK, but I mean and the other problem that we're having in the U.S. is the quality of, of the fish that, you know, yellowtail or wasabi may not be the real wasabi may not be the real yellowtail. I mean, there's a lot of substitution going around because people don't know any better. So you have to make sure that what you're getting is what you're
5: getting. Absolutely. And Loro Nobu is now, you know, is getting, as I say, is, is a brand. So often, you know, we're now having our ginger. So we have all the same ginger to on, the sa- on, the, on the same location. we have in the same rice. So we had the Nobu rice. So he he's making sure that whatever product he gets, he makes sure is all over his restaurant. So the quality stays the same. And the wasabi? Also. Do you make it fresh? Sometimes, when you can get it. When we can get it. See, it's very difficult to get it fresh. But you can get it. We can get it. We when
0: it do you when do you get it? So I know when to come.
5: <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you an email.
4: <laughs> Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now.
0: I've been coming to the south of France, thank you mom and dad, since our very first European trip when I was 12 years old. And I'll never forget, it was my very first trip outside the United States, and I'll never forget in Cannes with my mother walking me into the Carlton Hotel, holding me very strongly by the hand. And as we passed the concierge desk, she looked over and then looked at me and said, don't ask them anything. And the reason was, she was terrified in those days that when you checked out of a hotel in Europe, you got two bills. You got your room bill and you got your concierge bill. And then a few hours later, we were in Monaco, and she walked me into the Hotel de Paris because we were seeing a family friend who was staying there. And her her warning was even worse. She said, don't touch anything. <laughs> Now, I wasn't that bad a kid, but the point is, the whole idea of a concierge can be a little intimidating to people. Not everybody knows what they do. Uh, Some people just think they get theater tickets, and that's it. Uh, My next guest can dispel some of those myths. He's the concierge right here. He's also Claydor. Stéphane Bellon. how are you, sir? I'm very fine, thank you. And, uh, and most people don't even know what clay door means. Uh, you know, I, I, I was asked this question the other day, and I said, look, when you see the, the key, the gold keys on, on the lapels, that's a true concierge in the traditional French tradition. Absolutely. Of, of, and, and it's not about theater tickets, although it can include theater tickets as well. You guys are the true magicians. I mean, you guys can make things happen because not just of your own local knowledge, but because the network of concierges, you know who to call. If I'm going to Saint-Tropez, you know they got to call. You know a guy, right? Absolutely. You always know somebody to make it happen.
4: Yes, we'll right? make it happen.
0: And the thing is, for the people who understand the, the, the power and the strength of the concierge, then it becomes a challenge for everybody because they're asking you for everything.
4: For sure. right? Give me an idea, if you can, of some of the more unusual requests you've got. Hello, we do have some different ones. And I would, say, I would say, for example, this year, 2017, I would say it was the, the year of the love. Uh, we have many, many wedding proposals this year. But they all want to be special. They all, of course. everyone and, and has where do to they, be. And
0: where do they want to do them?
4: Alors, this year, I would say the most exclusive one was one gentleman, which was very uh, impressed by his, hopefully, his future wife. And he wanted to do something special. And what he did, he asked us, I want to do something original. I said, yeah, okay, but what do you mean by original? You have a, do you, What do you like? Are you more this way, this way? And we did organize something. Well, what did you organize? Tell you. Would you like to know? That's the reason why we're doing the show. Very good. So they were planning to go and have lunch somewhere in uh, Lérins Island, by uh, in the Bay of Cannes. I don't know if you've been to the Carlton. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm sure you've been to the Lérins Islands. Yes. So what we did is uh, they took an helicopter to get to, to Cannes, but the lady didn't know anything about what was going to happen during that day. So they took the helicopter, they had lunch in a little restaurant that we booked for them over there, and there was still nothing special going on during that day, except they, was, they were having a nice lunch in a very romantic place around five o'clock late afternoon a boat came in the island and on that boat that we did reserve for the, the gentleman the skipper he had a nice bunch of flowers to give to the lady the lady was surprised of course Then the gentleman said okay honey we have to go on a boat now and the lady still didn't know what was going on they went on the boat on the way to cap Fara, and by sunset he made his proposal did the boat return it did she said yes she said, "Okay, yes. good. Okay, good." She said,
0: "But yes. then you have other things that happen where they want a helicopter to go somewhere else. They want another boat to go even further distances, or crazily enough, you know, there are Indian weddings where all of a sudden they want the elephants showing up."
4: Yes, did the elephants show up? No, not the elephants. We did have an Indian wedding a few years ago. It was like ten, twelve years ago. And um, usually the Indian weddings are very um, popular and the, all the family, both families, they do invite many, many, many guests. Oh, and they them.
0: last for days.
4: And they last for several days. It yeah. means every day, like three, four days. And every day there is a party going on. So we had a huge Indian wedding last year, one year ago in November. And they had party at the Hermitage Hotel, here at the Fairmont, of course. And it was party for three days. But one which was... Much more particular for us at the concierge was a more intimate Indian wedding that took place a few years ago and there were only a few members of the family and the the weds, they wanted to organize a horse carriage in front of the hotel so they can just drive around like on the casino square and everything. And as you can imagine, horse carriage in Monaco is not very usual. And we have to ask <laughs> no, for you some... No, you have Formula One. You don't have, have Formula <laughs> Absolutely. So the, the horse that we have are much faster than the horse that the, the Indian person wanted. So we had to organize... You uh, had to sedate
0: the horse. Absolutely.
4: <laughs> <laughs> so it was kind of hard because, of course, as you can imagine, the horses are not allowed to walk around Monaco just like this. Uh, we had to find the place, of course, the, the horse carriage. We had to find the authorization from the prince t- so they can...
0: You had to get a special authorization from the o- prince. Of, of, the
4: of course, absolutely. absolutely.
0: I, I would love to know what that authorization form looks like. You know? Official <laughs> horse authorization form cannot travel more than six miles an hour. Right. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. But that's what you guys do. That's what Claydor does. Absolutely. we try. And, and any time you see a hotel that just gives, gives somebody on the front desk a hat and calls them a concierge, that ain't it. Look for those gold keys. I'm am not kidding. They will be your lifesaver. You don't have to get a, you know get married in an Indian ceremony. You don't have to helicopter out to an island. But they will find that shoelace if you if you're if you're, uh, if you're uh, lost the shoelace or the extra cufflink for your shirt, and they will do other magical things. Thanks so much, Stefan. My pleasure.
3: You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world.
0: If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com slash survey.
5: Survivor's back and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast and we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D Valladares. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast wherever you get your podcast.
1: The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in,
3: we were blessed. My mom